If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. You might want to start scrolling or whatever you do to get your Bible. Hi, my name's uh, Raj. Welcome. Good morning, everybody. Uh, a massive shout out again for our students. It was great to see you um, this, this, this morning at the campus. I hope you're enjoying your Sunday church crawls. Um, we have excellent, I mean this, we have excellent churches on Teesside. Um, so as you kick off your new year, I want to, not everybody's doing a new year of course, but as you kick off this new year, I want to encourage you to find a church where you will grow, serve, pray, and belong. It's as simple as that. Grow, serve, pray, and belong. Get stuck in right from the start and help shape, hear this, Jesus' church on Teesside. Your church, my church, with all the uniqueness that God has birthed in you. You're really welcome here, obviously. In fact, some of you, and the invitation, of course, is to all of you, but some of you will hopefully make this church your home for the next few years. Um, I'd love you to seriously consider that if you're thinking about it. University isn't a break from God. Really important. Some people view it that way. Listen, be revolutionaries. Be revolutionaries for Jesus in your age. That's what God's calling you. And actually, that's the theme of our current sermon series, isn't it? Um, Gavin kicked off. Uh, all this last week, come the revolution, the king and his kingdom. Uh, the dictionary entry uh, for the word revolution is the overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system or a dramatic, wide-reaching change in conditions, attitudes, or operations. When Jesus started his three-year ministry announcing the kingdom of heaven is, is near, that was inflammatory talk. It was fighting talk of the highest order. In a world where kings could execute their enemies without a trial or slaughter hundreds of babies just like that, the word kingdom was explosive. And Jesus knew that. In fact, over 2,000 years on, the revolution continues, doesn't it? Jesus is, we've just heard somebody bringing in some of that revolution just there. Jesus is still by far the most loved, most worshipped, most followed, most obeyed person in the world. Just Google it. Now, week two of this sermon series, which is me, is a bit messy. Apologies for that. We're going to skip the nativity story because we're going to do that at Christmas, obviously. Makes sense. And we're going to skip the baptism of Jesus because we're going to do that in two weeks' time when we baptize, when we have our celebration. Invite all your friends. Family baptism service. Yep. So remember to do that, those of you being baptized. And hey, everybody, let's invite our friends to this um, amazing celebration morning. So anyhow, that's why this morning we're starting in Matthew 4, 12 to 25. Let's start reading it. When Jesus heard that John, that's John the Baptist, who, who, who prepares the way for Jesus, uh, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum 
which was uh, by the lake in the era, area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what the prophet Isaiah said, or a mixture of what the prophet Isaiah said. Land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This message is for everyone. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Are you feeling Christmassy already? Some of you are going to stop. Some of you are going to be practicing Christmas songs soon for our December concert. Um, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From, the, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's pause for a moment there. Firstly, everyone is looking for a revolution. I want to convince you of that. In Jesus' day, this was a tense time, wasn't it? Rome was ruthless. John the Baptist's head was about to be delivered by Herod Antipas on a plate. Nice. The Jewish people were enraged and wanted revenge. They wanted justice. In fact, they were waiting for a military leader, as described um, in the prophetic passages like Isaiah, of Isaiah, to lead a revolution and destroy their enemies. And as we saw uh, last week, um, when Gavin went through Jesus' family tree, this military leader would be like David, or from other Bible passages maybe, like Moses or Joshua. They would come and put everything that was wrong right. That was the prophetic hope of these people. Listen, we need a revolution too, don't we? We do. This is, this is, this is for now, here, today. People are desperate for change. They want nothing short of a revolution, actually. You want nothing short of a revolution if you're a genuine follower of Christ. Just turn the telly on. Check out Twitter or Facebook, Afghanistan. Look at the street arrests on the M25. Black Lives Matter, Me Too, Sarah Everard, um, Sabina Nessie, so many, Nessa, so many things are terribly wrong, deeply wrong. I was brought up in a Hindu tradition, some of you know my story, in a close-knit, beautiful Indian community of newly settled immigrants. Me, mom, dad, and my older brother, Robin, were the most important, oh yeah, this is when I had hair, um, were the most important people to me. In that setting, however, as I got older, I started to question Hinduism itself and read a lot about it. It was very interesting. To cut a long story short, though, I eventually concluded in my late teens that beyond the mythology and beyond the moralistic values, a personal, relatable, intimate God was probably not to be found there. Over the following years, I went to medical school down in London. Spiritual things became a bit of a blur. The God and goal of my life suddenly became pleasure and status and selfish romance and drink. I decided God was actually for weak-minded people like you lot who come to church. However, in the midst of my arrogance, things took a turn. Suddenly, while I was at medical school, in the haze of a few months, mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, only at age, only, only, uh, age 50, and she died within a few weeks. Also, Robin, my brother, one day decided to end it, and he did. 
a goodbye note in the glove box. My tribe, my security, my joy had fallen apart. Subsequently, depression kicked in, a downward spiraling lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and selfish relationships, out of control, chaos. Yet, in the midst of that, I was showered by God's revolutionary grace. God turned up. Someone invited me to Alpha, a series of evenings. We're starting one tomorrow, exploring the Christian faith, building friendship, getting to know different ideas and opinions. I did it. I loved it. It was great fun, actually. Tomorrow's going to be great fun. Student guys, anybody who wants to come, tomorrow will be an amazing uh, start to a, a great series of evenings. Anyhow, eventually one morning, I remember sitting in the middle of this church in York um, with tears rolling down my eyes as God intervened, as God showed me His unconditional, lavish love, despite all I had done, despite all the mistakes, despite who I'd become. I didn't deserve this. Jesus also welcomed me into a thriving church. Um, his thriving church, a family again. Back then, I thought churches were really just for white people. Christianity, a white religion, or an English religion even. In fact, when I started at Jubilee, I was the only dark-skinned person here. But you guys welcomed me in. Possibly the biggest mistake you've ever made. I desperately needed a revolution in here. Deep down, we all, we all know that revolution is needed. A revolution out there, absolutely, but a revolution in here, definitely. And to that world, and this world, our world, your world, my world, a world of desperation and brokenness, Jesus announces the kingdom of heaven is near. But that revolution was, was, wasn't how they expected it to be. It shocked them, actually. It shocks us. And that's why Matthew actually wrote this gospel. You see, as we said, as we said before, Jesus' followers were expecting Iron Man to come, a kind of an Iron Man figure to crush Rome and to lead them in battles. Isaiah 59 describes him much better than the Marvel movies. According to their deeds, so he will repair wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun, for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Come, Jesus, you demand. Are you demand? And to that, Jesus says, hold on. That's not the kind of revolution you need. Actually, that's not exactly the kind of revolution I'm starting at all. Let me explain. First, what's the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God? Same thing. The kingdom of God is God's will being expressed in the world we live in. It's Jesus' kingly, beautiful, just, and righteous rule and reign over all of humanity. It's the thing God, if you like, is doing to restore His people and the whole of His creation. What 
we do with our plastic, remember the creation bit, what we do with our plastic bottles is also important to God and other things. Anyhow, that's an aside. But this kingdom that Jesus was unfolding for us was radically different. They didn't get it, and often we don't. Later on in Matthew's gospel, we're to hear two short parables. Someone's going to be talking about them in maybe months to come. Short parables about the kingdom of God, mustard seed, yeast. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed it in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and uh, rest in its branches. He told them another little short story. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, fungus basically, a kind of glorified athlete's foot. Not exactly, but <laughs> but that's what he's saying. It's kind of like this fungus. A woman took yeast and she hid it. That's an unusual way of describing baking, isn't it? She hid this yeast in the bread, but uh, in, in three measures of flour, till it was leavened, fully puffed up and ready to go. John will know about that, baking bread. Simple but profound. Unfortunately, like me, often, like me, often, I think many of us miss the point of this story, this parable. We go straight to the big tree or the, or the fully yeasted, puffed up, risen bread. Smells beautiful. Wow, what a tree. Yeah, come on, Jesus. We need you. You are going to be our mighty leader. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Rah, rah, church. Let's make this happen next week. Bands, lights, banners, smoke machine, YouTube channel. Let's go. But actually the point of this parable, and we're not really we don't really like this, is that the kingdom of God, like a seed, like yeast and bread, comes slowly in lots of ordinary ways. Seed, yeast, seemingly not very exciting and is often hidden. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God comes painfully slowly sometimes in very ordinary ways and is often hidden. And that's the difficulty, church, Jubilee. You and me often don't like that. We get frustrated. We want the latest thing. We want results now. We don't want mustard seed church. We want microwave church. Bing! Like the great theologian, Avril Levine, she said this, is it enough to love? Is it enough to breathe? Somebody rip my heart out and leave me here to bleed. Somebody save my life. I'd rather be anything but ordinary, please. I'd rather be anything but ordinary, please. This is what, this is what woke up Helen at three o'clock in the morning or earlier over the last few days. Um, she texted us all this morning at three o'clock. Most of us got it after five o'clock. Um, and she didn't know what I was going to talk about, actually. But this is what she journaled. Have you thought about how you make a difference? It's not in the big things, but the things that you, but the little things you do. 
You're a torch, a light to others to lead the way. You can pray a blessing for a family member or a friend, even someone you do not know. You can pray for them. I'm going to add in, you can invite someone to Alpha tomorrow. You are the light of Jesus. When people look at you, they see you, uh, they see you as different, but, d- but don't know why or how. You shine with the love and the joy of Jesus. Younger fellas and ladies, this is particularly relevant to you. Don't despise the small things, the ordinary things, the centuries-old habits of the Christian life. Don't keep chasing the next big thing. It will exhaust you. Andrew Wilson read a quote at one of our uh, New Frontiers Catalyst Conference, which puts all this into really helpful perspective. He said, the next big thing is the return of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the problem with Jesus, we're going to carry on with revolution. The problem with Jesus's revolutions is not that they are too weak, but actually more often too strong. Let's read on. 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people, not just fish. At once they left their nets and followed him. What would you have done? Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat and their father Zebedee with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You see, at the start of Jesus' ministry, he knew time was running out, didn't he? He he knew that he had less than three years. In three years, he'd be crucified. If it was, if I was him, I know who who'd I choose in these precious moments to be my successors, my ambassadors to all the world. I'd pick rich, influential leaders. You would, wouldn't you? Famous people, great speakers, people who will have clout. And that's precisely why Jesus' Jesus' choice of disciples here is so surprising. Let's take James and John. In Mark's account, he names them Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, hot-headed, argumentative, temper tantrum in the middle of Tesco boys. Not nice. What about Simon the Zealot, a religious terrorist? Brilliant. Great, Jesus. Well done. In fact, all of the zealots hated paying their taxes to Rome. So what does Jesus do? He says, Hi, Simon the Zealot. Meet Matthew, the writer of the gospel. Matthew, why don't you tell Simon what you used to do? I'm sure he'd be very interested. Uh, I used to be a tax collector for, for Rome. They called me Mr. Tollbooth. Great. You guys will be sharing the dorm together for the next three years. Have a nice day. Crazy. Ludicrous. In fact, Matthew was in charge of what was called the Capernaum Road. Where did Andrew and James and John and Peter live? We read it right at the beginning. Where did they have their fishing business? Capernaum. Welcome to the family. Philip was a Greek, and the people the zealots hated just slightly less than the Greeks. 
because they converted all their, uh, is, uh, their Jewish culture, was the Greeks. And so it goes on. Peter was the loud-mouthed, uh, volatile optimist. Thomas was the pessimistic doubter. Nathaniel was a cynic. In fact, the only respectable Judean amongst them was, guess who? Judas! Not a great role model for the revolution, if you ask me. Jesus couldn't have picked a more different, difficult, dangerous group of people to say, follow me and be his revolutionaries. But they were deliberately Jesus' chosen. And listen, this is good news to us. This is certainly good news to me. 1 Corinthians 1, the message version puts it brilliantly. Take a good look, friends, at yourselves, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose those, these nobodies, nice, to expose the hollow pretension of the, pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn at all, blow a trumpet for God. But one thing that Jesus does require though, and that was common to all these disciples as they left this and as they left that, is that they and we are willing to follow Jesus anywhere at any cost. Are you? Phil Moore writes, a Bible teacher down in London, he chose the weak but demanded that their commitment be strong. If anyone offered less than this, he refused to lower his demands. He would transform earthly zeros into spiritual heroes, but only if they left everything to follow him. What is Jesus calling you to leave behind to follow him? I think this is such an important question today as we've kicked off in this new building and God's doing a new thing. Let me put it differently. What's hindering your life with Jesus? What's getting in the way? What sacrifices do you need to make? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will save it. What is Jesus, friends, calling you to lose? Finally, the cross says, come the revolution. See the last bit of our reading? I won't read it all. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And he lists a whole load of people's lives who have been transformed right, up and right down to verse 25. Listen, Jesus heals. Jesus brings restoration. Jesus makes all the sad things come untrue. If not right now, then one day for sure. This is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven dying for me. It is finished. He has done it. Death is beaten. Heaven beckons me. Nothing is impossible with God, Jubilee. 
Isaiah 53 brings all that we've talked about together in Jesus. He grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people would hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our wrongdoings. The punishment that brought us peace, intimate relationship with God, what Sharon was talking about earlier on this morning. Jesus, by his wounds, we are healed. Listen, all revolutions start with a a shot, don't they? They start with an act of bloodshed, an act of brutality, don't they? Storm the fortress, invade the city, throw the captain overboard, come the revolution. We're going to be breaking bread in a minute, remembering Jesus' revolution, a reality as we take the bread and we take the juice. A picture of a shot, an act of bloodshed, an act of brutality that started Jesus' revolution out there and in here. On the cross, Jesus became not just a new Moses or a new Joshua or a new David, but rather he becomes the ultimate Moses, the ultimate Joshua, the ultimate David. Do you see it? This shot, this gruesome act of violence paved the way for the ultimate liberation, not just from political and military oppression, no way, that's too small for Jesus, but rather from our greatest enemies of all, our soul-destroying defilers, humanity's biggest problem, sin, not putting God first, and death, the end of the promise of eternity with God. On the cross, the bread of heaven, Jesus was torn apart for you and for me. And if you don't know that this morning, you could. You could. He paid the penalty for all that was wrong in us and all, that the, wrong, all the wrong that comes out of us. Ephesians 1 says, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, Jesus, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, but abundantly free to love and to follow him. This is Jesus' revolutionary victory. His victory, friends, for you and for me. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to break bread. And we're going to remember this revolution, aren't we? Yeah, thank you, Lord. You are good. I thank you, Lord, for the bread we're about to break together. Your body broken on the cross. All of our wrongness you took on on that cross as you died. 
everything that separated us from you, you took on the cross. All of our stuff you, God, stuff you, Jesus. My way's the best. Jesus took it and was nailed to a cross so that the punishment of that we didn't have to carry. He did, and he carried it away. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fall upon us this morning as we come and take this meal and remember you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and empower us. This isn't just symbolism. We are remembering the God who died 2,000 years ago, alive right now in our lives, changing it. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, today could be the first day you enact this powerful gospel joy news of Jesus. If you're not a Christian here this morning and you don't want to follow Jesus, that's okay. I'm glad you've come. Keep coming. But don't take the bread. Don't take the wine. But if you are or you want to become one, I can't think of a better day to do that, a better way of doing that. And so if that's you, come and speak to me, come and speak to who has brought you. We're going to break bread now. We're going to listen to a song because the response to this is breaking bread, remembering Jesus, and worshiping. We're going to raise a hallelujah, but not as you know.